The following is a production of Casually Hardcore and Versus the World Productions. www.vtwproductions.com Thank you. Thank you. I just found out that the, uh, our time together today is uh, going to be put onto the internet live. So say hello to the internet. Now you know what it's like to be me. Uh, <laughs> the internet does not ever give you your innocence back. <laughs> Once it takes it, it keeps it forever. Um, I would, uh, before I get started, my uh, performance today is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. If you decide to do something, if you get excited and make something with it, I would love to know about it. Um, If you don't know what any of the stuff I just talked about meant, uh, just find the nearest nerd and, uh, and, and they'll help you out. I'm going to tell you two stories today, uh, but before I, uh, I, I tell you those two stories, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> My life has gotten really weird in the last about 12 months, I guess. Um, after coming to define myself as someone who was really struggling to be a working actor, I suddenly became a working actor. And the amount of time that I spent as a writer and the amount of time that I spent as an actor have kind of inverted. And I am behind on all of my writing projects. I was going through my blog trying to find an amusing story to read, and I was like, oh, YouTube video, YouTube video, conversation with the dog, YouTube video. There's nothing that I can do because I've been really busy. And most of the projects that I've been working on are things that um, are secret, that I can't really talk about. So I've had this sort of um, emptiness of uh, material that I've been able to, uh, to create. Um, there's this weird thing that happens when, when you're a working actor. Um, you have these development meetings. And, um, and by you, I mean me. I have these development meetings. So I, I have been asked uh, frequently in, in about the last year to go to tall glass buildings to sit in offices and have meetings with people who are interested in developing programming specifically to include me in it. It's the weirdest thing in the world. And it's, you don't have to, I, thank you, but that's not why, I'm, I'm, that's not why I said that. It's just, it's just weird, you know, because I'd gotten so used to this experience as an actor of working really hard to prepare, like, this much material, and then going in and finding out, we're really only going to read this much material today, and we're not interested in you actually being here. So, about ten months ago, I had a development meeting, and it was awesome. Like this, uh, a network said, "We listen. We really want to talk to you about about doing a show with us." And I said, "Okay, that sounds awesome." And I went down to their tall glass building, and I had a meeting that I expected would last about twenty minutes. It went closer to ninety minutes because it was an enthusiastic, wonderful meeting. And when the meeting was over, the the person I met with said, "Now listen." Uh, it's, this is a really early stage kind of meeting. It's going to be a very long time before you hear anything from us. I mean, it, it, it's probably going to be like six or maybe eight months. So there's this thing that happens in the entertainment industry. It happens all the time. Uh, you have a meeting. And by you, I mean me. I have a meeting. 
I have an audition. I, I, I get a call that says, uh, we want you to come in and read for this part. I prepare things. And then generally as I'm on my way out the door, I get another phone call that says, actually, we've changed the role. You don't need to come in now. Uh, and this just happened to me recently. A friend of mine is directing a TV show. And he uh, asked for me to, to send some tape because he wanted to cast me in this particular role. And uh, I, was, I said, well, that, that's great. I would love to do that. So I did all of the things. And um, about five days after uh, I sent in the material, he uh, texted me and he said, yeah, so they've actually changed the character. It, it's sort of now the character's kind of like a short, bald guy with um, mommy issues. <laughs> and I replied back, well, I can, I can totally be that, you know, I can... Well, thank you for thinking of me. <laughs> so what happens frequently is uh, it has nothing to do... Getting a job has very little to do with, with me as an actor, and it has to do with all, these other, uh, all of these other circumstances. So I, I, got a, uh, I got, actually got an email from, from my manager, which is weird because I've been doing this long enough to remember when we talked on the phone for things. I was just talking uh, backstage. Have you ever been doing something on your phone, you know, playing a game or reading Twitter, and it rings and just scares you? <laughs> like, what the hell is that? So uh, I, I got this email from my manager, and he said, so I just wanted to let you know, I talked to this person at the network, and they love you. They think they they are they think you're fantastic, and um, uh, they really want to find something to do with you. But it's not going to be this particular show because they've decided to go a different way. And uh, and I said, oh, all right. Um, do we know which way they decided to go? And he said, yes, they've actually decided uh, to develop this show for Tori Spelling. <laughs> and I. I just emailed back, WTF? <laughs> and then the phone rang. And it was my manager. And he said, are you, are you, are you upset? You know? And I said, well, I'm upset for television. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you a story. I used to write a weekly column for the LA Weekly, our uh, local alternative paper in Los Angeles. And at the same time that I was writing a column for the LA Weekly, I was also um, a columnist for the Suicide Girls Newswire uh, on the internet. And um, one week, two things happened that overlapped. And I I decided that I would turn these two things into two separate columns that were connected to one another. Uh, One I wrote for my column at the LA Daily at LA Weekly, and the other one I wrote for my uh, for my column at Suicide Girls. Um, And these are they're they're not from any books or anything. They're just stories that I that I like, and I wanted to do something different today that I haven't done before um, because I'm starting to feel like I'm just going to concerts and playing Freebird and not really playing any of the other songs. So, um, so this is either going to be cool because you've never get, because you've never heard it before, or it's going to be like when you go to see that band that you like, and they go, "All right, now we're going to play some of our new stuff." <laughs> Come on, Boston, we don't want to hear the new stuff. <laughs> so uh, this is this is a story. Um, these are two stories uh, about the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. 
The first one is titled, Have You Played Atari Today? About 12 years ago, my wife and I pulled her original Atari 2600 out of storage and hooked it up to our television. We set it on the floor next to my Sega Genesis. (laughs) So now everyone has a classic gaming reference that they can relate to. And we showed it to our kids. What's that? One of them asked. This is how we started playing video games at home when we were kids, I said. Yeah, your uncle and I got this for Christmas in 1977, my wife said. Man, you guys are old, (laughs) said our son Nolan, who was five at the time. We are totally old, I said. Not knowing that ten years later, he and I would have to stop playing Frisbee in front of our house because I had hurt my old when I tripped over the curb trying to catch up with one of his more powerful throws. We all looked at it together. Once shiny silver switches jutted from the top of a sleek black body that was wrapped in faux wood grain. Faux wood grain was uh, everywhere in the 70s. Faux wood grain and airbrushing. Black rubber cords snaked around it ending in the iconic joystick controllers that are woven tightly into the fabric of my youth. A cardboard box, its edges revealing the passage of time as clearly as its contents, sat on the floor beside it. Inside, 20 game cartridges waited. Keys to a time machine. Combat. Pitfall. Yar's Revenge. Space Invaders. Centipede, Missile Command, Cosmic Arc. Not a lot of people remember Cosmic Arc. It's okay. I should probably rewrite this so I don't end with that one. (laughs) I put what? Okay. I pulled Combat out of the box, blew into it. Gently pressed it into the appropriate slot, just like I had hundreds, possibly thousands of times between 1979 and 1985. I felt a surge of excitement well up inside of me as I turned on the television and slid a tiny black switch from TV to game. I should have predicted the response that I got from my kids. They grew up in a world where the genesis was state-of-the-art, And my original Game Boy was totally lame because it wasn't in color. That's it, Ryan said. He looked at the screen as it cycled through colors that even in the 1970s weren't exactly attractive. I flashed what I hoped was an enigmatic smile at him as I dramatically prepared to blow his seven-year-old mind. I held a joystick in one hand. Enjoying the familiarity as it settled into the other, I grabbed the game reset switch and gently pulled it down. The familiar sound of tank engines rumbled into life, and I was shot through time to the shag-carpeted living room of the house I grew up in, playing against my younger brother on our black-and-white television set. I prepared myself for a trip through the nostalgia wormhole, but before I could get swept away by the wave, I was jarred back into the present by the equally familiar sound of a tank firing its cannon and blasting its opponent. 
I looked at the screen and saw my tank spinning against the wall. I looked to my right and saw that my son Nolan had picked up one of the controllers and was grinning. Okay, I said. So you push up to, he shot me again. While my tank spun around, he began to giggle. Okay, all right, okay, now let's give me a chance to, he shot me a third time. Okay, okay, it's on. For the next half hour or so, we blasted each other in all the permutations of tank combat, from an empty field with straight shots to my personal favorite, invisible tank pong with maximum walls. We tried airplane combat, but my kids quickly grew tired of that variation just as fast as I did when I was slightly older than they were. When we finished playing combat, we moved on to some of the other games in the box. Without any assistance from me, both of my kids figured out missile command, space invaders, air-sea battle. They even grokked Pitfall. In fact, the only game that gave them any real trouble was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that's a game that I don't think I ever beat when I was a kid. And one of the few Atari 2600 titles which I recall needing the manual to even begin understanding. (laughs) Thankfully for us all, the nearest copy of E.T. was in a landfill somewhere in Arizona. (laughs) Where it belonged. For the next several weeks, my wife and I noticed that the small video game time budget that we gave the kids was invested almost exclusively into the Atari games, while the -the state-of-the-art Sega Genesis sat unused in a cabinet beneath our television. Why do you think the kids are playing Atari so much? I asked my wife one night after they'd gone to bed. I mean, you know, besides it being awesome. I think the simplicity of the whole thing makes the games more accessible to them, she said. Remember when we were kids how we used our imagination to add details to the games? Remember how easy it was to just start playing and figure it out in just a couple of minutes? I think they're doing the same thing. I agreed with her. The 2600 with its simple 8-direction joystick and 8-bit graphics was easy for our kids, then ages 5 and 7, to pick up and start playing immediately. After a while, it couldn't compete with the console systems their friends had, and they gradually lost interest. We kept the 2600 in the house, though, long enough for me to rack up high scores on Pitfall that I never would have been able to achieve when I was 10. And I'm sad to report that if you take a picture of yourself in front of the screen with your high score and mail it to the address on the manual, it comes back unopened. Turns out we can't send mail through time yet. I'm working on it. I lost my place. Uh, (laughs) We kept the 2600 in the house, though, um, long enough for me to rack up. Remember when I said that? Um, High scores on Pitfall. Remember when we did that? Remember that? Wasn't that great? Yeah, good. Okay. Um, And and long enough for for my wife, Anne, to eliminate any doubts about her ability to utterly destroy anyone who is foolish enough to challenge her in air-sea battle. Eventually, we put the Atari 2600 back into the garage, where it remains to this day, on a shelf next to an Atari 800 and a TI-99-4A. I keep them, because understanding our past is fundamental to understanding our... Who am I kidding? I kept them because I love them, and that is all the reason I need. So that was published on, uh, on the LA Weekly's uh, site. And... Um, uh, 
parenthetically, we pulled that Atari 2600 out of the garage for my wife's 40th birthday party uh, last August. Um, we were having an 80s-themed party. If you look at my Flickr stream, you can see a picture of the two of us um, in front of this great uh, 80s backdrop that Anne made out of construction paper, and, and uh, it, it looks kind of, it's very Nagel-esque. And uh, uh, I, I went to this costume party as a, a one of the um, Trilams from Revenge of the Nerds. It was really a stretch for me to do that. And she went dressed up as uh, Madonna from the Lucky Star video. And there's this picture of the two of us, and it just looks like two people who would never be on a date together ever in the 80s, unless there was like a financial transaction involved. <laughs> so I published that on, on, the, on the LA Daily, and then ran this uh, companion piece with it um, over, over at Suicide Girls. Um, uh, the, other, the other piece, which ran like two days later, is called, Yes, as a matter of fact, I have played Atari today. And a little backstory on this. I was uh, supposed to go to a convention up in uh, Michigan called PenguinCon. And one of the things that I was planning to do at this con was play a uh, combat tournament against Sean Powers, who's the editor of Linux Journal. Uh, I got really, really sick uh, like two days before PenguinCon, and my doctor said, you can't fly. Uh, so I wasn't able to go to PenguinCon. A lot of people who attend PenguinCon hate my guts uh, because it's, it's uh, more than once that I've planned to go to this con and uh, was unable to go for one reason or another at really, really close to the last minute. In fact, at this year's PenguinCon, they were uh, handing out either uh, pins or ribbons or something that said, I am not Will Wheaton. <laughs> so um, in order to prepare for my, uh, my, my tournament with Sean, I got one of those Atari flashbacks and uh, uh, I went and picked it up from, uh, from, the, uh, from the post office. And uh, that's where we, this story uh, picks up. So I picked up the Atari uh, flashback from my mailbox. I gently put it into my trunk. And I drove home safely and calmly, respecting all traffic laws and my fellow drivers. Once in the house, I unleashed my inner eight-year-old and I tore the box open with reckless abandon. I grabbed the power supply and jammed it into the wall. I connected it to our television and dove into adventure and then dodge them and then Yar's Revenge. I may have thrown some late 70s album rock onto my Sonos to complete the experience. So it's great that you're having so much fun, my son said from the other side of the room while I was cheering the successful introduction of my Zorlon cannon to the Kotile's bitch face. But I'm kind of working on my senior project here. He was a senior in high school when this happened. I toned down my celebration. Sorry. I switched to asteroids, and after clearing two screens, I swear I could feel the chlorine in my lungs and, and on my skin from any given day in the summer of 1982. Hey, do you remember when you guys used to play your mom's 2600, I said. I let one small rock drift across the screen while I racked up points blasting flying saucers. He sighed and turned around in his chair. Sort of, I guess, this is a really important project. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, all right, okay, I'm sorry. I'll get out of here. But will, will you play with me when you're done? I, um, I kind of need to practice. He cocked an eyebrow. You need to practice? Playing Atari? What? <laughs> it's for this thing at the end of the month. I'm playing combat at a convention. You are so weird. <laughs> I know. 
So will you play with me? Okay. Our roles thoroughly reversed. He returned to his work, and I went back to my office. A while later, he called out to me, Okay, I'm done. I stood up carefully. I slowly pushed the chair beneath my desk. I walked carefully through the house and did not scare my dog when I nearly tripped over her near the aquarium in the living room. I did not nearly stub my toe on the dining room table, and I was not out of breath and flush with excitement when I finally met Nolan in the family room. Just in case anyone was wondering how that all went down. We turned on the television, and a few minutes later we faced off in tank pong with maximum walls. It was a furious battle, ending in a 7-7 tie when my last second shot found its mark. Again, he said. I bumped the reset button and quickly built an 8-3 lead. Nolan never caught up. Two out of three, I said. He made a face that was a combination of amusement and determination. Yes. He built a 10-2 lead almost instantly. I spent more time spinning around than I did actually driving my tank, though I managed to traverse the entirety of the map. I think there's a problem with this game, he said, as the match ended 11-6. to It's way too easy to just chain your attacks together and completely own the other player. I think that's part of it, though, I said, starting a new game. You've just got to find a way to keep moving and get in that first shot. He got in the first shot. And the next shot. And the shot after that. And the next five shots. I got in a couple of shots of my own, but it wasn't enough. I realized too late that I was probably struggling because I'd forgotten um, to play that song from the end of Karate Kid in my head (laughs) as inspirational music. (laughs) You're the undisputed master of combat, I said when we were done. As your reward, you get to watch me play adventure. I flipped switches and was soon on my way to collect the various items required to complete my quest. What's that? Oh, that? That's my sword, I said, pushing my little box against an arrow-shaped icon. Uh, what What do you use it for? Slaying dragons? I entered a once-simple maze of corridors that the passage of time had made as vexing as it was when I was eight. You realize you've gone into that dead end five times, right? (laughs) Shh. This is how we did it back in the 80s. You ran into the same dead end over and over again? Yeah, it was part of Reaganomics. I finally found my way out of the maze, and I approached a castle, anxious to impress Nolan by grabbing the glowing gold chalice within. That's when the dragon showed up. What the hell is that? Well, it's a dragon, of course, I said, holding the joystick out in front of me like I always did, convinced that if I moved it around as I tried to evade the dragon, it would help me escape faster. That's when the dragon ate me. Wait, so you guys did this for fun? Well, there was this, and and we would occasionally fend off uh, Indian attacks, and we were dinosaurizing our caves, yes. He laughed 
uh, what other games are on this? I showed him Yar's Revenge. This was my favorite Atari 2600 game when I was a kid. I liked this game even more than Pitfall. He looked at me. I liked Pitfall a lot. He continued to look at me. We all liked Pitfall a lot. Okay, so you're, you're this little insect creature called the Yar, I said as the game began. And this guy over here, he's the Kotile. He destroyed your home planet or something, and you've built this Sorlon cannon to extract your titular revenge. I flew around the screen through the neutral zone, chipped away at the Kotile defenses. My Zorlon cannon activated, and I waited to take my shot. From time to time, though, the Kotile turns into a swirl, and the swirl shoots itself at you. That's when the Kotile turned into a swirl, and I blasted it out of the sky. Yes! I looked at him, waiting to bask in his approval. <laughs> That's it. Well, you get to fly around this cool screen between the levels, too. Oh, and the second level, it has a rotating shield. Watch. He looked at the flashing graphics on the screen and scratched his chin. How many people got seizures from this when you played it? <laughs> I do not know. I bet you I can destroy it three times without dying, he said. Go, I handed him the joystick. Okay, so I shoot it that thing that looks like a distress signal? That thing is the Kotile. Yes, yes, you shoot at the Kotile with your Zorlon cannon because you are exacting... Yeah, right, revenge, I got that. I watched with more pride than I thought possible or revealed to my easily embarrassed teenage son as it took him two minutes to do exactly what he said she'd do. He'd do. He'd do. That's going to make sense in a minute. Does this ever get hard? He asked. That's what she said! He slowly shook his head and handed the joystick back to me. I'm sorry, uh, reflex. Yes, it gets challenging later on. The missile thing moves a lot faster, the swirls fly out a lot faster and more frequently. But it's pretty much the same two levels over and over again. Uh, the same two awesome levels, yeah. We looked at each other. It came with a comic book. Did I tell you about that? You are so weird. But I'm also kind of awesome, right? Where were you a year ago? You were here. You wouldn't fit in my house anyway. Uh, but I'm also kind of awesome, right? He... I feel like Paul and Storm trying to do the captain's wife's lament. <laughs> that, I am going to regret that. <sighs> but, but, but I'm also kind of awesome, right? I'm really trying to end this so that we can get to the questions part of our time together, but we can, keep, we can be stuck in this while loop forever if you want. I'm just trying to hit Control-C and it's not happening. It came with a comic book. Did I tell you about that? You're so weird, but I'm also kind of awesome, right? We looked at each other. Um, I love video games. I really do. 
um, I love the worlds that we create when we play them. Um, I love that though my kids and I uh, don't have as much in common uh, now as they are becoming adults as we did when they were little, um, that we can still share these things, that we can do these things together. Um, I don't understand some of the games they play. I don't, uh, I don't get the appeal of the run-around no-scope kill in uh, Call of Duty, uh, but apparently that's a very big deal to my son. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of awesome when he comes running into my office to describe to me how he's gone through and run an entire team uh, by, by himself, and I can see, like, sort of the pride that he, that he takes in that. My, uh, my other son, his older brother, really loves the narrative video games, and he and I played Bioshock 2 at about the same rate together. I know, isn't that a great game? And uh, now we're playing Red Dead Redemption at about the same rate together. And it's so cool, you know. Uh, I gave the keynote address at Penny Arcade Expo East in Boston earlier this year. Thank you. Um, I, it, was, it was hard to do that. Um, and I, I talked a lot about video games as narrative storytelling devices. And, you know, we have really different tastes in, in television shows. Uh, my kids, uh, they like Bones and they like House, and I just don't, I don't. Um, sorry, I know, I know you guys love them and that's great. I just don't do anything. I would rather watch Doctor Who. And... So we don't really have a lot of television that we can kind of have water cooler talk about, you know? But we can do it about video games. And what's great about video games is that each time we play it, especially when it's a narrative game, if we're playing different styles of characters, different things happen in the game. And we have this, this like kind of uh, time-shifted, non-linear shared world that we can both, you know, all three of us can exist in at different times. And it gives us this wonderful thing to have in common. It gives us an excuse to talk to each other. And as I have noticed as a parent of teenagers, one of the most important things we need are excuses to talk to our kids and relate to them and stay involved in their lives at that time where they're kind of like, oh my God, you're my parent, you're so lame. And um, I, I, I make this point every time I get an opportunity to speak in public. Video games matter. Video games are important. And um, video games are, are, are here to stay. And I, I would love it very much if the people who need to find the current satanic panic um, would just sort of like lay off of the video games. Um, because they are, they, they are a very positive and good part of our lives. And now we have come to the part of the program. I totally nailed it. A half an hour. Go me. We have come to the part of the program. Yay! We've come to the part of the program where you ask questions and I provide you with answers. Now, um, normally there would be microphones lined up, uh, but today there are not. So um, if you could just all yell out at exactly the same time and they'll go into my queue and uh, we'll just... No, I'm just... Please don't do that. Um, uh, so we're going to do this the way we used to back in the old days. Uh, of, of the, the early Star Trek conventions um, where uh, you just... You're an expert. You're raising your hand already. But unfortunately, I didn't say go, so now you're disqualified. I'm sorry. Oh, I know. I know. Dejected R. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So um, if you can just make sure that I can hear you, then I'll repeat your question to the audience, and uh, that's how we'll spend the rest of our time together uh, today. Yes. Of the Marvel, do I, are you saying am I a Marvel guy or a DC guy? Okay, my favorite characters in the DC universe, I've always been a big Batman guy, and I really love the Green Lantern. 
uh, those are probably, I mean, of like the big iconic DC superheroes. You know, I mean, there are other DC characters, obviously the Sandman and, uh, and Spider-Jerusalem. I mean, those, those are guys that I, that I, that I really, really love. Um, in the Marvel Universe, uh, you know, I've, I was never a huge Marvel comic book fan when I was a kid. I, I sort of felt like, and I don't, and I don't really mean to, to, to dog on Marvel, because um, I have since become a fan of Marvel comic books, but when I was younger, I felt like Marvel books were about, like, they were, they were very broad, they were, they were more like the Batman TV series than they were um, the sort of darker, grittier, uh, like Vertigo-style comic books that I liked to read from DC. Um, but I have since come around to really, really, really enjoying Captain America since Ed Brubaker started writing it. Um, I absolutely love Iron Man since Matt Fraction started writing it. Uh, and I love uh, what Matt's been doing with, uh, with X-Men. Uh, but a, a qualifier to all of this, I am six months behind on comic books um, because, as I said at the beginning of, of, of our uh, wonderful time together today, um, I, uh, turns out that I don't have any free time. And what little free time I have, it's weird. Like, I knew that I was a grown-up when, um, in my limited amount of free time, it was like, do something with my wife or read a comic book. That was weird. I was like, wow, i got to go back in time and tell 12-year-old me that things are going to be different someday. <laughs> yes? She asked if I was going to be on the Big Bang Theory again and how I liked being cast as Evil Will Wheaton. Um, I, I can't say definitively if I'll be back. I know that Bill Prady has said that I'm a recurring character. and uh, I'm sorry, that Evil Will Wheaton is a recurring character. And Bill, and Bill Prady said that um, uh, we have not seen the last of Evil Will Wheaton. So um, I'd say there's probably a better than 50% chance that, that I'll get to go do more, which delights me because it's an incredibly fun show. To work on. They are incredibly wonderful people. The cast and crew are sensational. And it's really fun to play Evil Will Wheaton. Um, you know, one of the things that I love the most about being an actor is that I, I get to make a living by playing dress up. I, I get to imagine that I'm somebody else and I get to do things that I would never do uh, in my real life. And getting to be that, like, douchey nemesis guy is, it's disturbing to me how much fun it is to, to be him. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, after, after, playing, after playing him twice now, I feel like I kind of have a handle on Evil Will Wheaton. And what's interesting is that, like, I can separate. There's Evil Will Wheaton is different from Chaos on Leverage, uh, and they're both different from Fox on the Guild, uh, but they all kind of spring from the same, like, douche well. <laughs> and it's actually very important to me as an actor that, that these, these characters don't overlap, that they don't end up, you know, that I don't, like, play a Fox beat when I'm supposed to be playing an Evil Will Wheaton beat. Um, but it is, it's a great time. It's a wonderful show. And uh, it's, it's really... I don't. It's really overwhelming to to be part of that. Uh, when Bill called, Bill. So I got this email, um, and and uh, and it uh, was from Bill's assistant, and the email said Bill Prady would like to talk to you about the Big Bang Theory, 
And um, when I was younger, uh, I knew a lot of computer hackers. And I know how to spoof email headers and, and how to do things of that nature. And I thought, oh, somebody is fucking with me. Like, oh, haha, very, very funny. So I, uh, I forwarded the thing on to my manager and I said, look, this is probably one of my friends messing with me. But if you could just check it out. Um, and uh, I don't know, like a half an hour later, uh, my manager called and he said, oh, no, it's legitimate. Go ahead and call him. So I did, still expecting that it was going to go to a number that's going to be like, hello, you've reached, ha ha, we got you, Will Incorporated. Um, and it was Warner Brothers, and I talked to Bill, and he said, so we, we just, we would really like to put you into the show. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is Will Wheaton, you're, you know, like, this is not the, not the well-known jazz singer. I'm the, I'm the actor. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we get it. And... Uh, the whole thing actually came about because I was talking about how much I liked Big Bang Theory on Twitter, and Steve Malaro, one of the uh, executive producers and one of the writers, saw that and emailed me, and he said, hey, I'm one of the writers on Big Bang Theory. If you ever want to come down to the set and, and watch the show, I, I would love to you know, have you as my guest. And I emailed him back, and I said, yeah, that would be great. And apparently they were at that time developing uh, this storyline where Sheldon had a nemesis, and they... Uh, I guess it came up. Steve said, you know, I was just talking to Will Wheaton. Maybe he could be Sheldon's nemesis. And apparently everyone in the room went, that's a great idea. <laughs> and and they, they thought, uh, Bill said, listen, I don't know. Like, you're going to play a delightfully evil version of yourself. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, and then I had this moment of doubt. And I thought, if I go and play myself, does that mean that I'm like, I can only play myself? So I called John Rogers. Um, who's a, a good friend of mine, and he's the executive producer and co-creator of Leverage. Um, he wrote, uh, like, re- he rebooted Blue Beetle for DC. He did the original Global Frequency script, um, and and he's real smart. And I said, John, I, I think I, maybe I'm overthinking this, but and I told him, and before I could even finish, he goes, "Are you insane? A Big Bang Theory rerun was the number two show. It beat the first run episode of whatever it was. Why would you not do that?" And I said, "I don't know." And anyway, uh, that led to me doing two episodes of the Big Bang Theory. Yes, sir. My wife is really not a geek. She's sort of nerd adjacent because be, because she's lived with me for fourteen years. Um, she's she's nerdy for a few for a few things um, like. We can't play Scrabble together anymore be, because she kicks my ass. Um, and, and the thing is, is, she's just like, oh, I guess I'm going to make this whatever 75-point word. I'm like, well, how, could you, how did you do that? She's like, I don't know. I'm just playing with the letters. And I'm like, okay, great. Egg. Good. <laughs> Six points. Go me. Um, what's funny is that she's been around it so long that she has begun, like, she gets my references now. And every now and then, she quotes something appropriately. <laughs> and uh, it's like that, that moment in, in, in The Big Bang Theory where Penny correctly quotes Yoda from Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, um, um, Anne does that from time to time. And um, it, it's it just sort of like everything slows to, like, bullet time, and I turn around to, like, look at her and <laughs> make sure that that really happened. 
Um, I, I, I don't know how many, I, I assume that, you know, I feel like I'm among my tribe, so I'm sure that many of you are self-identify as nerds. I don't know how many of you have non-nerd partners, um, but we're not the easiest people to be married to. <laughs> because we tend to get upset about things that normal people don't get upset about. <laughs> so there are certain things that Anne just won't watch with me, you know? And there are certain things that she just won't do. And so now, sometimes I'll be, I'll be like kind of nerd-snorting about something that I saw, and, and she'll say, what are you laughing about? And I'll say, you know, it's a, it's a Unix thing. Forget it. It's not. It's, it's a long way to go. And she's like, oh, okay. Do you want to play Scrabble? Yes. Do I like Kirk or do I like Picard? You know, I like them both for very different reasons. Um, I obviously, as an actor, uh, Patrick Stewart was, is one of my favorite people in the world. And I'm a better actor because I worked with him. Um, he's, I once read this interview with, uh, I want to say it was with Luke Robitaille, but I can't remember for sure, talking about playing hockey with Wayne Gretzky. And this, this player... We'll just say it was Luke Robitaille, okay? So Luke Robitaille says, you know, when I play hockey with Wayne, I don't want to be the guy that slows him down. You know, I want to be ready for whatever crazy pass he's going to make. And he makes me a better player. I work harder because I respect him so much. For me as a teenager... Um, I've written about this a lot in my books. Uh, because I was a teenager, I always felt like I didn't fully appreciate what I had when I was on Star Trek. I didn't, like, it was very angsty for me, you know. I wanted to be friends with everybody, but I was a kid and they were adults and I was so awkward. And, and uh, like, we, we could relate professionally, but we couldn't hang out personally because, you know, it was just weird like that. And uh, I, I did my best, like, not to suck with, with what I was given, um, and some of the stuff, most of the stuff that I was given <laughs> wasn't always that awesome. <laughs> but the best scenes and the best storylines and the best work I ever did on that show is work that I did with Patrick. And I'm a better actor because of him. So when I watch Next Generation, I'm not objective. But when I watch the original series, I'm totally objective because I've been watching that as long as I can remember, you know? And I wrote this book called Memories of the Future, Volume 1, and it's a collection of these, some of you have heard of it, it's a collection of these humorous, mystery science theater-style recaps of the first half of the first season of Next Generation, which, if you remember with equal parts facepalm and nostalgia, um, you'll probably enjoy. Then the other half of the book are all these like kind of high school yearbook kind of, uh, you know, remembrances. And uh, the f- Picard likes to talk a lot. You know, it's like, Captain, the big bad alien guys are going to kick our ass in 35 seconds. All right, then let's all go to the observation lounge and talk for 12 pages about it. You know, all right, but it's like a minute a page, man. And, you know, and Data's stuck in the Chinese finger cuffs again. And it's just, could we just shoot them, please? Oh, no, that's not how we do things. Um, uh, Hi, I'm Dr. Crusher. Can I bring my kid onto the bridge in the middle of a giant crisis? <laughs> now's not the best time, Beverly. Whereas Kirk was just like, they were like, Captain, Captain, the bad guys are going to blow us up. And Kirk was like, I'm getting laid. Can't you handle this shit on your own? God damn it, Sulu. 
know how hard it is to get 12 Orion slave girls in a room together? They usually fight to the death. Fire the phasers, God! And ask the seamstress if my ripped uniforms have come back repaired yet. I've got a planet to visit later today. I don't know why Captain Kirk talks like that. but uh, So, you know, I mean, I love them both, but for, for very, very different reasons. Of, of, the, of the, you know, all, my, all the bald captains, though, I think that, uh, you know, Picard probably wears it the best. Yes. One of my favorite memories of playing Dungeons and Dragons. I see you're wearing an Enforcer shirt, so thank you for wearing the black. Even though it's red, it's always black in my heart. Um, uh, well, obviously playing with uh, Jerry and Mike and Scott Kurtz for the Penny Arcade podcast was amazing. I loved that. Um, one of the greatest experiences I ever had with D&D was uh, running a game for my son and some of his friends and passing along to my kids something that, was really important to me, something that was really meaningful to me. Uh, when, when they were little, uh, my, my kid's uh, bio father uh, took over sports and pushed me out of sports and was such, so competitive with sports that it ruined sports for all of us. And it was really a bummer. Like, it was really a drag. I didn't get to share that let's go play catch thing with my kids. But we got to play role-playing games together. And I taught them how to make characters. And uh, I, I taught them how uh, to not be a rules lawyer and how to not like min-max characters and the importance of role-playing. So the first game that I ran for them, and I wrote it serialized on my blog uh, for, for my son and his friends, which was supposed to be the beginning of a campaign, but his friends were like, hey, I don't, I would ra- we would rather go no-scope people in Call of Duty or whatever. Um, it, was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And seeing, my, seeing myself in my son as a player in a role-playing game was really, really satisfying to me. Because the other guys were totally trying to metagame and my son was just role-playing. And it was, it was, uh, it was really awesome. Uh, yes? My favorite tabletop game at the moment? Um, I really like Small World. Uh, from Days of Wonder, and it's a terrific game. I love Matt Leacock's Roll Through the Ages. I love Pandemic. I've had more fun losing games of Pandemic than I've had winning other games. Um, some of you know what that means. Um, I love Munchkin. Uh, playing Munchkin at a con is the best. You stand up on the chair and humiliate yourself to get an extra level, and 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 it's and it's it's really 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 a lot of fun. And the the new rules that have come out in the nineteenth printing are just make it even more fun. And uh, SJ Games has a new game out called Cthulhu Dice that is so much fun. And I have been told by other people, not knowing this from personal experience, I would like to be very clear about that fact that it is able to be transformed into a drinking game. Not that I would ever encourage you to do something like that because it is wildly irresponsible. <laughs> I haven't been to this side of the room in a bit. Yes. Thanks. I love doing voice work. Um, uh, like, I know it's probably hard for you all looking at me right now to imagine that I would have a hard time passing as a superhero in a live-action film. On account of uh, my body by Guinness and uh, and 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 uh, you know, like sort of like shoulders by uh, computer, um, 
but I can totally be the blue beetle. I'm, I'm, I'm brave and the bold. Like, that's amazing to me. Like, I'm the voice of Ted Cord. No one had ever played Ted Cord before me. So, uh, and I didn't know that until the episode was about to air, which is great, because I would have been so paralyzed with the responsibility of that. Um, had I known that at the time, that I wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, I, so voice acting is a, is a wonderful, wonderful creative outlet for me. And I've done a lot of video games. I'm in Red Dead Redemption. Um, and uh, I haven't encountered myself yet. I think you have to play the game for like 30 hours before you actually come upon uh, me. Um, but I actually put a story about, uh, about this on my blog recently. I was in one of the Ghost Recon games, and I played one of the guys in the Ghost Recon game that's going to be in your squad. And for the five of you who don't know um, what, what, how this game works, it's a squad-based game. You command, like, three other players, and you run through all of these missions, and you can tell them what to do, and, like, they can be snipers, and they can be medics, and they can take care of you, and, and, uh, and then you sort of get through the game. Now, a lot of people, it's not really that big a deal if the, you know, one of the play- people in the squad gets killed, um, because all that matters really is you just get through and you finish the level. So I was playing um, Ghost Recon. I was playing the game that I was in, and I, I play this character, David Foster, in one of the Ghost Recon games. And uh, there's this level where we have to run like through a hole in a wall into a field. And there's all this tall grass in the field, and we have to go through the tall grass and like up into a courtyard and, like I don't know, ring the bell and clap your hands for Tinkerbell. I forget what the end of the level is. <laughs> and uh, so I start out, you know, and I'm like, let's go, and, and, and Foster, as me, uh, so, so I'm like, try to keep the me's straight in this, okay? So, like, Foster's like, okay, man, here we go. I'm David Foster, and I'm awesome. And then I'm like, you're the best soldier ever, David Foster. (laughs) Keep going. I'm going to buy you a beer when we're done. And we go through, and I'm like, everybody go around the left. And everybody runs off around the left. And then these snipers stand up out of the grass. And it's like, crack, crack. And I hear myself go, ah! And then another voice in the thing goes, Foster's down! And me now, and I as the player, I go, oh, fuck! And I, r- like, I run like over to, the, to where Foster is, and I'm like, don't leave, man! Don't, you're not going to die! You're, I'm going to get you through this! We're going to make it! Come on, get up! Don't go into the light, David Foster! Stay in! Medic! Medic! My wife's asleep in the back of the house. I don't care. My dogs are like, why are you yelling at us? What did we do? People next door are going to call the police because of all the screaming in my house. The medic comes over, Foster dies. And it's just me and I go, ah! You know, whatever the people I, you know, the the death sound is that that I did. And it's like time stopped. As I looked at the controller, I have to reload from a save file. Because I just let myself get killed. I reloaded the game, and one of the things you can do is you can tell the, the squad, squad guys, stay here, don't move. So I'm like, Foster, come here, i got to talk to you for a minute. Don't move. Lie down. Put this rock on top of you. Don't move. Other guy, come and guard David Foster. In fact, both of you guys guard Foster. I'm going to go do this incredibly difficult level all by myself. a very long way of not answering your question, Um, uh, which is, uh, I would really love to play like a major character in one of the narrative story video games. Um, If anyone associated with the Fallout franchise is hearing this, or or the Bioshock franchise, 
or really, please, Dragon Age. Anybody from Dragon Age? My friend Yuri plays Sandal in Dragon Age, the guy that goes, Enchantment? Enchantment! And I love, love that guy so much. And I call, so I say that to Yuri all the time. And Yuri goes, you know, so Yuri is an amazing voice actor, incredibly accomplished. He plays, uh, he plays uh, uh, Superman. Uh, he's, he's Ben 10. Uh, he's Sasuke and Naruto. Like, everybody loves him. And he says, great. I'm going to be most remembered for playing a retarded dwarf. <laughs> that's, that's what everyone's going to, I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Yes. Have I always been really good at video games? As far as you know. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, um, you could divide video games into, like, the maze-style games. Uh, you know, like Pac-Man and, like, sort of Burger Time was kind of like that. And Frogger was like that to a certain extent. And then there were sort of the, the, the space games that were, like, Space Invaders and Galaga and Gorf and Galaxian. Um, and then there were these weird games that were really hard to play, like uh, Defender and Stargate and basically anything made by Williams. Um, they were just incredibly challenging games, and uh, I got good at those by investing <laughs> a lot of quarters and, and hours into those games. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you practice, practice, practice. That's, 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 how, that's how you get better at, at video games. But let me tell you something, because you look like you're a little younger than me. Um, <laughs> you are so lucky that you don't have to play video games hardcore 1987 style like a lot of us did. If you wanted to beat Mario Brothers on the Nintendo Entertainment System, you had to play it basically from start to finish, maybe taking a couple of breaks and hoping that your mom didn't come in and go, oh, God, they're still playing this, and unplug it. You couldn't leave it on overnight because it would overheat. Um, you, you had to be, and these things were delicate. If someone jumped in the room, the cartridge would pop up out of the Nintendo and you'd be like, oh my God. You would get all the way to Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out and you'd write down the code and you would put up, you'd, you'd put a zero where it's supposed to be an O and because you were 10, you didn't realize that's what you did and the code didn't work and you had to go back through it all again. So, um, you damn kids today, before you, before you get off my lawn, I want you to appreciate that you can actually save and suspend your video games because it wasn't like that for us. The worst thing, you're on an airplane and you're kicking ass. You're the epic Tetris run. Greatest Tetris run ever in the history of life. You're probably going to get laid because you've done so well. There's going to be a committee is going to meet you when the airplane lands. Because like, like you don't even hear the music anymore. You glance out the window of the airplane at the New York City skyline and see Tetris blocks falling into it. Because you are so in the zone, man. Like you are connected to the game. And the stewardess comes by and goes, I'm sorry, you have to turn that off now. We're landing. But I'm all level. I've cut it. I have two lines at the bottom and I'm at level 25. I can keep going. I'm going to have the most points ever at the committee. And I'm, then I'm probably going to second base. And the stewardess is like, sorry, you got to turn it off. If you don't, the plane's going to crash. And then that, that, that's on you. These days, I just close up my Nintendo DS and nobody cares. You have no idea how easy you have it. Uh, last question. <laughs> um, 
this is a difficult question to answer without feeling like a dick. <laughs> but I will try. I, uh, the question was, <laughs> how did I become a phenomenon on FARC? Um, and it kind of ties into a larger thing that I, I, that I try not to think about too much. I'm really lucky. I've worked really, really, really hard to just kind of be who I am. I've tried really hard to inspire people. I've wanted to show the world at large that these things that make us geeks are awesome and that it's nothing to be ashamed about and that it's cool to be smart and that it's awesome to read and uh, this notion that, like, girls can't like this stuff is idiotic. Um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was having breakfast with John Scalzi this morning, and we were talking about being writers, which is weird that I can talk about being a writer with John, <laughs> um, on account of he's won a Hugo, and, uh, you know, and I write a blog. Um, <laughs> And we were talking about when my blog first started. And, you know, the, the reality is, nearly 10 years ago, when I started writing uh, at my blog, I really felt like I was kind of a has-been child actor struggling really hard to define myself as an adult and trying really hard to figure out what I was going to do with my life and, like, sort of come to terms with having been on an incredibly successful television show um, and then not really had the same success as an adult that I had hoped to have. And somehow, in the exploration of those things and kind of the public journey of, of trying to grow up, I guess, and, and beat this artificial deadline I had imposed on myself when I was going to turn 30, um, I ended up talking about something that apparently happens to a lot of people, even if they're not on a TV show. <laughs> this thing where you get out of college and go, well, crap, I have an English degree, now what do I do? Or, I, you know, I, I have an engineering degree and no one's hiring. What's, what next? Okay, so I, I'm, I went to pre-med, but I, I just want to be a photographer. And um, I started getting emails from people and interacting with people who said, look, you know, this thing that you did, well, I did it too. And um, that gave me this sense of, like, okay, I've done something meaningful with my life more than like just being on TV. And I, I kind of like, I could relax a little bit. It's like, even if I'm not successful as an actor, like I did this for some people. That's great. Also, I enjoy telling stories and I'm able to sort of get paid to do that. And I don't, I don't like to think about it because like I wrote in my blog like last week, I feel like I am perched atop this very precarious house of cards. And if I think about it too much and if I talk about it too much, um, I'm going to lose my balance and it's all going to come toppling down on me. And because the cards were made by an evil wizard, their edges are actually razor blades. <laughs> because that's what evil wizards do. And they will cut me to death. And uh, all, I, all I try to do every day is not take it for granted. And um, not be a dick. And, and entertain people and uh, n- not take myself too seriously. And, and, and just keep trying to do something more. And however that has managed to work out, um, it's, 
I don't know what got the attention of people at FARC. And uh, it kind of got the attention of people at Reddit and Twitter and things like that. And, uh, you know, there's... I get really offended when I read these, like, self-proclaimed social media gurus who are like, I'm going to tell you how to be famous. I'm going to tell you how to be popular. I'm going to tell you how to exploit people that care about you. And... um, like, that's completely missing the point. I'm going to tell you how to do something that benefits me, but I'm going to make you think that it benefits you. I see that all the time. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I just try to keep doing the same thing. And as long as people like it and want to be involved in it, um, that's awesome. Uh, and then when eventually when it's over, um, I have a giant stack of comic books to read. So my time is up, and uh, I don't want to be that guy that makes this run long and uh, screw over the whoever's coming on uh, after me, and I don't want to keep you guys from all the awesome stuff that's going on at this con. So, Oh, there's nobody after me. Okay. Well, I don't want to keep you guys from all the awesome stuff that's going on at this con. Um, so, All right, so we'll stay for another 10 minutes, I guess. <laughs> Can we do – is that Okay. I just got the thumbs up from the cabal backstage. All right. Don't feel obligated to stay if you have other things to do. I won't, my feelings won't be hurt and I won't point you out. Um, you're waving your hand. Go ahead. Yes? No, she's waving at her husband. She's like, all right, I'm coming. I'm behind you. I'm leaving now. Okay. A little bit about criminal minds. Um... I played a serial killer rapist on Criminal Minds. It's one of the hardest roles I've ever had to portray. My victim was Robin Lively, who I've known since we were little kids. That was unbelievably uncomfortable. Uh, The way that that whole thing came around, I uh, I went to the audition and... I had kind of decided, like, this auditioning thing is, is stupid. I'm, I'm going to these things, and I'm working really hard, and I'm not booking any jobs. And I keep hearing, like, oh, no, you were good, but, you know, we're, gonna, we're going with Tori Spelling. Um, <laughs> and I just thought, I think this is, I think maybe I'm done. I really thought that. I thought maybe it's just time to retire and be a writer. And I was really okay with that. And I drove to the audition, and I went in, and I thought, you know, I have nothing to lose. It's not like, you know, I, I, have, I just have nothing to lose. I totally committed to this character in the audition. And I wrote about this in my uh, Criminal Minds production diary in my blog. And, uh, and it's in my book, Sunken Treasure, which I have for sale here. Um, plug, plug, marketing, marketing. Thank you, thank you. We're done. And, uh, and, I, and I, 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 I just, like got right up in the face of the person I was reading with and made her cry. I know. I didn't mean to, but it got me the job, so. There is, for me as an actor, uh, I'm not a method actor at all. I pride myself on being able to turn it on and off. And that's, that's <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I, I pride myself on doing a lot of homework, breaking down my scenes, understanding my character, writing backstory, uh, and then kind of letting all that go to just work off of the other actors in the scene. 
And that thing they say about 90% of acting being reacting, I think is pretty true. You know, you stay present and you stay connected to the other actors in the scene and you stay true to the character that you're playing and uh, good things tend to happen uh, when, you, when you do that. And a certain amount of the characters I play comes home with me. Just can't help it. It stays with me a little bit. And until the, the part is over... Uh, a little bit of that character lives in me all the time because I need to be able to go back to work the next day and turn that character back on. And I... I um, what's that? That's... That's... Thank you very much. That is what she said. I... I, uh, I, I had to keep... I had to keep Floyd alive in my head a little bit when I was working on Criminal Minds. And it was a wonderful time. They were awesome. It was a great show. I really liked it. Uh, and that was really hard for me to stay connected to that character because he was evil. There's a difference. The characters, the other characters that I've played, the nemesis characters that I've played, uh, they're, you know, they're the characters you love to hate. You know, they're, uh, they're Dr. Evil. <laughs> they're, 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 not, they're not, you know, like real evil. And Floyd was real evil. And it was, it was a real challenge to, to do that. And one of the hardest things in the world was the scene where I was like, hey, guess what, Robin Lively? I'm coming to rape you. And it was uncomfortable. And when we finished all, all of that, um, we, you know, like untied her and, uh, uh, I know, and I like gave my, my knife prop back to the, um, to the prop department. And we were walking back to like craft service to, you know, go get a donut or whatever. And, uh, and I said, you know what, I, uh, I really just, I kind of, I need a hug. <laughs> and we hugged it out. And it was good. Yes. What am I excited to play tonight during Rock Band? I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to John Scalzi singing Journey. I know somebody's going to make me sing Bon Jovi. So I've just learned to embrace that and look forward to it. Uh, I haven't played nearly as much rock band recently as I would uh, like to. And in fact, I tried to convince my wife that I needed to practice before I came here. Uh, But honestly, I'm just looking forward to the experience. It was so fun last year to do this rock band party where uh, we all pretended to be rock stars for a couple of hours. And uh, after the first few songs, I felt like everybody got into it, even the people in the audience, you know. And there was dancing and, and uh, uh, screaming and pretending we were, you know, like at a real concert. And we, like, we created this thing. I, it's another thing I talked about at PAX, you know. We can pretend to be rock stars. And I, I love that. Like, I'm never going to be a good enough musician uh, to, to play play um, Boston ever, uh, but I don't have to be. I just have to be good enough to not fail in, uh, in, in, in rock band. And uh, attention harmonics, whoever came up with no fail mode so I can play rock band while drinking beer, I love you. There's going to be a sign-up sheet in front of the rock band room, which is over at the Hyatt. I recommend that you arrive between 60 and 90 minutes ahead of time. Don't worry. There will be stuff for you to do. Your fellow rock banders are going to be in line with you, and uh, you'll be able to hang out and have a good time. Uh, and then there's also a sign-up sheet somewhere else. I don't know where, so good luck finding it. Um, but it's going, to be, it's going to be a super, super good time. Yes? If Charming Evil Fox and Charming Evil Will Wheaton got in a fight and they were fighting for the same thing, who would win? Uh, 
the audience. What is my favorite character I've ever played? It's really fun to play Evil Will Wheaton. Yes. I, uh, the question is if I had to choose between being an actor and being a writer, and I had to choose one, what would I do? I would be delighted that I subscribe to the many universes theory. <laughs> yes, I did work on Eureka. Okay, most of my Eureka work I'm not allowed to talk about, but what I can tell you is that, okay, I play... I play the director of the non-lethal weapons division at Global Dynamics. Um, I, I am a thorn in the side to Fargo. So I, I got to tell you guys something. Neil Grayston owns. He's so awesome. Uh, I got to work with some of the other actors. I worked with Colin Ferguson a little bit. He rules. Um, I had an unbelievably good time on that show. Uh, they are... They are one of the greatest sets I've ever worked on. And uh, Jamie and, and Amy said, we, you know, we created this character with the hopes that if it works out, there will be more. Um, boy, do I hope it works out. Because I loved working on that show. And I can't tell you anything else. But Jamie's going to be here on, on Sunday. And uh, we'll probably, on account of being the executive producer and everything, he could probably know, he'd have a better sense of what it's okay to tell you than I do. You know, unless he, like, you know, has to fire himself or something like that, which would be really unfortunate. Okay, uh, last question. Yes. Yeah. Um, she asked when I sort of became aware of uh, my inner geek. It's funny, it's like talking to my friends who are gay. <laughs> they're like, well, and this is when I knew I was gay. Um, I was never athletic. I wasn't cool. I was shy. I was really uncomfortable with myself and other people. I was afraid to be noticed. And... Uh, I was really, I was like an intellectual kind of kid. I was really stuck in my own head. Uh, if I were a and d character, my charisma was like five. And my strength was like five. Dexterity remains my dump stat. I'm the clumsiest person alive. And um, every, seriously, every knife in my house is a safety knife because you just never, never know. Um, and... Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about when I cut my thumb when I had done answering your question. And, uh, and really the only stats that I actually put anything into was, was really was intelligence. Um, I just loved to read and I loved to think about stuff. And I met other people who liked the same thing and put the same value on exploring and curiosity and uh, like the search for knowledge and the search for understanding. And they were all nerds. And I was like, that's what I am. And it was okay. 
I really, it really didn't matter to me. I looked at the cool kids, like I'm sure we all did. I looked at the cool kids and I just thought like, you're so worried about what other people think about you. We're just worried that you're going to notice us and come mess with us so that you can feel cool to the other cool kids. And there was, one of the things I try to do is make it okay for kids to be nerds. Because there was nobody when I was in middle school saying like, look man, you love math and science. That's awesome. Keep doing that. Because um, it's going to pay off someday. Believe me. And let me tell you something. I mean, and also, on, a, on, a, on an entirely other level, guys, geek girls are super hot. And I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to uh, offend, um, but there's nothing sexier in the world than a smart girl to me. And uh, especially if she has a Betty Page haircut. Um, but I digress. And... Uh, now I have to go call my wife and tell her I'm sorry. Um, I'd say that I probably knew when I was in about sixth grade and, in the fir- and I played D&D for the first time. And uh, I, I, had, uh, I had taken my last dodgeball to the face. And I ended up on the, on the bench at the playground with another kid. And we talked about D&D. Because uh, he, he had one of the books with him. And we started playing. And... My life changed that day. I became a gamer, and it led me to all of my friends. Gaming, I said this in my PAX keynote, gaming is the foundation of and the mortar that supports all of my important friendships. And uh, that's just sort of part of being a geek. And I, I, and I think that's awesome. And if you are, and if you, if you feel this way, um, then you should embrace it and make it okay for other geeks to enjoy geeky things. Now, I'm going to finish with a story about me being clumsy because it's funny. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was feeding my cat. And uh, I, we didn't have, now they make cat food cans that have pull tabs on them. I should point out that if you break the world down into cat people and dog people, I'm a dog person. But uh, I still love my cat because he's 15 and senile and, uh, uh, and, is, and, and still, still occasionally loves me. Um, so I was feeding him and I used the can opener to open the can of cat food put the cat food into his dish and I took the lid of the can of cat food and I put it down into the trash can underneath our sink I went and did a few other things and I had like some paper towels or something that I watered up and I put them down into the trash can and the top of the trash can was really was like uh, bursting with trash as trash cans do and I reached my hand in to compress the trash with my hand Now, here's a fun fact, because no one told me this. If a cat food lid turns onto its side, it functions very similar to a razor blade. So I'm pushing down, good old clumsy Will Wheaton, and and this also actually is stupid Will Wheaton. So I'm pushing down on it, and the lid of the cat food can cuts into my thumb, cuts all the way down into my, into my my left thumb, cuts all the way down to the bone. As I'm pushing down, and I think, what the hell is that? Push, push, push. Push, push, twist. I pull my hand out. Gush, gush, gush. Now, I'm standing in front of the kitchen sink. Blood is really like, hands bleed a lot. Gushing out of my, I can see the skin is open, right? And I go, ah! 
I close the door to where the thing is. I grab a paper towel and I put it on here and run to the bathroom sink to wash it off. Because that made sense. There's this like CSI-esque trail of blood through the house. You can just see Grissom's coming in with the ultraviolet light later on while like, well, like you know, music by uh, Portishead plays while like scanning it around and looking at it. I get to the bathroom and I rinse it off, wash off all the blood. The blood has been hiding the true extent of the injury. I begin to feel a little weak. <laughs> by this time, my wife has caught up with me. And it's bleeding really, really bad. I, I finally stop the bleeding. And I call my dad, who's a doctor. I'm like, what do I do? And he goes, just put some butterfly stitches on it. You'll be fine. And I begin to panic, like you do. And I say, I, th- I really think, it's, I think this needs stitches. I really got to go to the urgent care and, and get stitches on it. Now my arm is, my, my thumb has begun to throb, and the pain says, now it's referring up my arm. By the time I get to the urgent care, my entire left, and I'm left-handed, my entire left arm, yeah, right on! Some of us are able to overcome being born right-handed. It's a good way to piss off 50% of the population. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I get to the urgent care place, and, and I wait. And I wait and I wait and I wait while people who have real injuries are taken before me. While the worst... Why do they play the worst television in the history of television in these places? And why do they play it so loud? Really, it's a small confined waiting area. Nobody who's there wants to be there. Why punish us with extraordinarily loud uh, Jerry Springer talk shows? Like, why would you do that to us? Um, And if you're the guy who puts that on, I hate you. So I go in. And the, uh, and the guy, the guy looks at me and he goes, oh, okay, let me put some butterfly bandages on that for you. So he does, just like my dad told me uh, I should do. And he says, hey, uh, when was your last tetanus shot? And I go, oh, it's so weird. I just had one, like yesterday. And he says, no, no, really, when was your last tetanus shot? I'm like, I don't know, when I was 18 probably. And uh, he goes, well, you really ought to get a tetanus shot. So I'm like, great. And he gives me a tetanus shot. And it said, listen, if they give you a tetanus shot, really massage the heck out of your arm. And make sure they give it to you in your right arm because you're left-handed. Yay. And then massage the hell out of it so that no one, you know, so that it doesn't hurt, right? So the guy gives me the tetanus shot, which surprisingly doesn't hurt. Like tetanus shot technology has advanced tremendously since I was 18 and the nurse in the ER gave me a tetanus shot, bent the cartridge with the vaccine in it halfway through, so I got a tetanus shot and a half. <laughs> that was awesome. And, uh, and, and I, uh, so that's done. So I go home in a little, you know, kind of in a little bit of shock. I'm in a lot of pain. And I'm rubbing my arm down here, my forearm. And Anne goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm rubbing my arm like you told me because I got the tetanus shot. She goes, yeah, rub it where they gave you the tetanus shot. <laughs> Turns out I didn't rub it enough. 
So now I have a right arm that is throbbing and I really kind of can't move at my shoulder. I have a thumb that I can't bend and is shooting daggers of pain, like little pieces of crushed glass through the veins in my arm up into, into my shoulders. And throughout all of it, the cat didn't even eat the food I put in the dish. And that is why I am a dog person. I would very sincerely like to thank you all for spending so much of your time with me today. I've really enjoyed this. My blog is online at willwheaton.typepad.com. I'm at WillW on Twitter. I'll be in the vendor hall for a little while. We are playing the hell out of rock band tonight. And if you take nothing away from our entire time together, please let it be this. Don't be a dick. All right, you are listening to coverage of the Phoenix Comic Con, live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. If you check the website in the next hour or two, a podcast download MP3 of this presentation should be available for download. Again, www.vtwproductions.com. Talk to you later. All right, that wraps up our coverage, I think, today for Phoenix Comic Con. At least our live coverage. We were getting editing up everything we did today and getting it out onto uh, podcast downloads. <sighs> so what do you guys enjoy most about today? This last panel was amazing. Will is hilariously funny. I really enjoyed listening to him. And he's basically what our show's all about. Everything that's great and good about being a geek. Yeah, aside from furry-based comic books, um, <laughs> probably Will Wheaton was probably the, the highlight so far of the day for sure. Yeah, looking at the schedule for uh, tomorrow in the main hall here, much much stronger presentations and people who actually arrived uh, instead of you know, having to cancel because their plane didn't get here on time. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, hope, I unfortunately won't be here, so I'll have to listen to the podcast just like our listeners. No. Yeah, that's okay though. You two can do it. We promise we'll record it for you. Somebody can do it. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We got I don't know if I can leave our kid alone for two days in a row. <laughs> Come bring Eric in tomorrow. He'll have fun here. He's going to love it. Yeah, he is one of us. The, the two of you have bred you know, another one of just like us. Alrighty, so we're going to wrap things up here, turn things back over to the 24-7 server on Versus the World Radio. And here is the normal spiel. Ooh, they're actually ooh, closing the main drape. Cool. Um... You're listening to Versus the World Radio, www.vtwproductions.com. Check out all the fine shows you may find there, like ours, Casually Hardcore, which normally airs on Sundays. Uh, well, there's some other shows there, like, you know, Octail and Hordeck versus the World, you know, The Emperor's Court, which is on hiatus at the moment because he's going off to get married. Congratulations, Emperor. Right now, otherwise. <laughs> yeah, we would be bumping them right now, otherwise. But hey, it worked out okay. Uh, 2014, uh, SU Gaming has returned to podcast only. They're not doing the live show thing right now. And I'm attempting to help uh, Game Nights get their technical issues worked out to convert them from podcast to live show. And then podcast. It's a happy, happy thing. Uh, check out our new advertisers as well on the site. Um, please click on the links. And join us on Twitter. Join us on Facebook. Join us on the forums. 34 more for Facebook. Come on, people. You will never do it. Of course, join us on IRC. Internet Relay Chat. We're hoping uh, with uh, getting the word out a little 
earlier tomorrow, we'll get uh, bigger participation in the IRC from uh, the different presentations with the Hydra talent tomorrow. Anyway, we are going to wrap things up here, turn it back over to the 24-7 server. Catch you guys later. I'm going to go fall down a well. <laughs>